Hey y'all, welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. This week, episode 74, and we recorded it last week uh, live down in Guyana on my mission trip, um, and we did a collaboration with um, Christy Buttles and her podcast, Real Deep Stuff, uh, but we sat down and just interviewed and had a great discussion with Diaraj, who um, is over the largest prison in Guyana, um, and allowed him and um, heard uh, his story and uh, very powerful um, so um, check out uh, episode 74 all right we are live here in uh, Georgetown Guyana um, with Diaraj uh, the warden of the prison we've been at for the last uh, four days um, here to share his story as I always say Christy says and he was just explaining we all have a story we all have struggles and the good news is we're not alone and it's how you overcome your struggles and own your story we want to sit down and have him share his story and how he got to where he's at yes we are so excited thank you for your time today we really appreciate it we know you're a busy busy man and it's an honor and a privilege to have you with us today. So on the behalf of Real Deep Stuff and the Rabbit Hole Show, we are super stoked that you're here. You're getting a twofer out of this. <laughs> Two different podcasts. <laughs> so at lunch today, that was really great. Can we start by just saying, can you share some of your story about how you came to this position, this particular job? Yes. Uh, first of all, I would like to um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and um, I just want, uh, so basically I uh, never really thought of being in the military, but um, what happened is that I basically looked for an opportunity to better myself, part of my studies, and basically to be a better human being. Um, I was working with my father, as you know, my father is a construction worker. And um, over the years, I've been through a lot of trials, um, you know, and with that, while I was working with him, I, uh, one of my friends visited me, and uh, he explained to me that he is going to apply to the prison for a job, and I said, listen, I'm there with you. And um, I applied, I went home, I, my skin was in cement. I went home, and um, when I went home, I got something. Reported to the prison, and in about two weeks' time, I was hired, and I started to work at the prison. And while working there, honestly, I questioned on many occasions whether this is really what I wanted in life, and the. I asked, literally questioned God if this is what he wanted for me. And um, there was this deep feeling that I belong here, and this is exactly what God wanted me to do. And hence, I am here for the past 15 years. Um, I have joined from the you know, low rank to where I am today, a senior superintendent 
in charge of one of the largest prisons in Guyana in terms of capacity and population, just over 1,085 inmates. And I must say, definitely, this is where God wants me to be. How is it? Can you talk about how you got connected with the Puckets and they came, their ministry was in, came into the prison and, um, and what we've done this week, how that um, kind of happened and was formed? Yes, definitely. Um, so I met the Celebration of Love ministry team first at Timiri Prison some time ago. And my original thought was that this is, this is just um, a one-time thing and, you know, going to see them again. But then uh, later on, I uh, was in charge of a larger prison, which houses the male and female prison, which is the only female prison in Ghana. And um, being there, uh, Pastor Jai, who is part of the ministry, um, reached out to me and indicated that he wants to come and church on a regular basis. And there's where it started. And eventually, uh, he indicated there wasn't a proper place to worship. So he uh, summed up money. And um, with collaboration with the prison, we enclosed a building to do worship. And that was excellent because the prisoners, you know, now have had somewhere where they can, you know, worship on Sundays and during the course of the week. And it was used um, for as well, uh, educational uh, purposes as well, classes for inmates. And later that year, um, Somewhere 2019, 2018, 2018 yes, year about. And uh, that is when I met uh, Mistress and Ms. Pocket. Um, and the team as well, too, um, you know. And I was very touched because um, you, I, I felt that they were really genuine, what they wanted to do. Because, like I said, you know, a lot of people come to the prison, want to do one thing and go another. But um, you can see their full involvement, their genuine caring for inmates, the way they spoke to them, and um, the way that they washed their feet, communicate. It was exceptional. And from since then, I would say there was a special connection. Whichever prison I go there after, you know, I main, maintain co connection with Pastor Jai and um, Steve sometimes. And, you know, I'm always open to the team so that they can uh, come to the prison. And like I said, there is this responsibility to um, us prison officers to give prisoners a sense of hope while in prison. And I'll say that 
helping us in that process is Mr. Bucket as well and the team. So, uh, yeah. You said earlier that you knew that after the pandemic, the team would be back. Yes, definitely. I, I, I knew that, you know, they, they would be back because um, before the pandemic, um, as I said, you know, I saw that genuine care and love that was expressed. This is not a sham. This is not something that somebody just wanted to show persons. But this was generally from the heart. Um, I was really happy to be a part of the and look forward to be, you know, play a bigger part as the years go by. Yeah. So, um, what is your religious background growing up? Christian family, or I know down here, um, Hindu, Muslim, from speaking with a lot of the inmates, um, they grew up Hindu, Muslim, some Christian families. What was your background growing up in your family? Yeah, so... My um, my entire childhood, I was Hindu, right? And at the age of 16, I got saved. Um, but even though I was saved, um, I was living under my mother's and father's roof. And I was very scared to break that news to them. So I used this to um, hide and go to night church instead of day. And um, it, was, it was a bit difficult. But eventually, um, as, I, as I got a bit older, I opened up and I said, this is what I want. Christian, give my life to the Lord. Commit to be Christian. Mom wasn't pleasing with that. Neither my dad, but he was more acceptable. So that is basically it. Uh, I've saved since then. So who brought the gospel into your life at 16? Yes, well, amazingly, um, so we, uh, even though we were poor, um, we had a TV, and I can remember um, looking at Pastor Benny um so on he would never he would never um uh close his, his sermon without giving you that acceptance prayer and um there's one time i would flick the channel i would say you know this guy this can't be real you know this can't be real i doubt it all along and i said at one point i said you know just repeat this prayer Honestly, I felt something. I felt, and from that day, I started to, you know, um, follow, you know, program and started getting. Um, also, I must give credit, even though necessarily um, what I believed in, but I must give credit to the Jehovah Witness. You know, in our it always comes around, and since I was small, um, they would come to the house. And whenever they come to the gate, 
My mom would say, oh, go, 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 talk to them, talk to them. You know, I would go and they would have me standing there for like 15, 20 minutes explaining to me about God and all these things and telling me about, you know, so many things. And they would share the Watchtower magazine and the Awake magazine. And for some reason, I find it um, educational, the Awake. And I look forward to reading it. But um, they were very smart, I would say, because uh, what happened is that they would have these educational captions and they would have all the details and then they would correlate it to the scripture. So right there, they brought you in, right? So uh, I would say it's very smart, you know, to some extent. But um, I, that also played a part. I must be conscious that I'm going to. With you, um, you know, leaving the Hindu faith at age 16, did your family, um, you know, it took a while for you to come out and tell them, how has that played in your family dynamics? Are they still Hindu? Um, talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yes, well, I, I have a very um, small family growing up. My dad, my mom, my sister. At the age of seven, I lost a brother was 14 years old he drowned um but um when i broke you know the news to everyone that christian like i said you know took a while for them to uh, my mom i tried many times continue to for them to be follower of Christ. No. Without them being saved, basically, you know, we all know what could happen. And the thing is, is that um, I pray for that, but to this day, they're still here. Speaking of family, how do you handle work-life balance with the type of job that you have? Do you find that you're bringing work like emotionally or mentally home with you? Are you on call? Like how it's a very particular job to, to do what you do. So how do you make that work with your real life? Yes. Thank you once again. So, um, my job, uh, as, as an officer, a senior officer, um, it is so much responsibility. Um, you're in charge of not only the facilities, but um, the inmates, and also you have overall responsibility of the officers. And um, that's that's a whole lot, right? Um, because officers have issues, not only in terms of work-related issues, but they have their personal issues. And um, it is your responsibility while they're welfare persons to deal with it. Some people feel comfortable to relate to you. What do you do? You can't turn them away. And likewise, while they're welfare officers to deal with prisoners' welfare, sometimes they feel comfortable to confide in you and to seek your guidance, your assistance. And, um, you have to ever so often find that time aside for that 
notwithstanding the fact that you have your own admin work to do as well okay but put it all together um while it's challenging i always try to put my family first and um, in doing so it becomes challenging sometimes um you know there, there were at times to be very honest go home and there's some snap then you realize it's um, but one of the things that has helped me over the years is the ability to respect to see where I'm going around if I'm going around. if there is change I'm never shy of changing important it is um so going back to work and your relationship with um inmates and your other staff how has your faith um played a part in your work um you're very open about your faith um from what i've seen um and the inmates and staff respect you um when i was incarcerated um inmates didn't really have respect for the co's um, and the COs kind of saw us, saw us as numbers. They didn't see us as humans. And I don't get that here. I, you know, the inmates here are people. They've just done something wrong and are paying for their, you know, crime. Um, whereas um, back in the States, sometimes you're guilty until proven innocent, which is not, you know, how it's supposed to be. So how is your faith, um, you know, at work because um, the guys respect you and they look up to you every time they would walk in they would say hello back in the states you don't see that at all um, so how has your faith um, played a part in the inmates and um, their walk religiously yes well first of all I must say um, my my work basically sometimes affect my you know what I want to do because you know Sometimes you're required to work on days, and even though sometimes you're not required to work, do that. You know, church becomes because. Um, but nonetheless, I stayed true over the years to what I believe. I understand that while I might not be in church, church and and um, I, you know to daily devotions. And I would say that, that uh, as I spoke earlier on about introspection, during those devotions, would also help to introspect. And um, that has given me a sense of understanding what are the needs of both I would safely say that I am not just like a person. Scripture says, and given that, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean I'm because I'm a sinner, therefore mean I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what is right. Okay? 
So for me, I, I always, I never try to impose it. It's because I have the freedom. I respect that as a professional. I have to respect that. But I give you that opportunity to and that by itself gives me so my faith, what I believe in, plays a great part in the way I manage. Plays a great part in the way I manage towards work. That's a great segue into the next question I have for you, the kind of mental health component of the, I, I really can't understand the enormous pressure that you're under to keep over a thousand people um, in line and all of that. So in addition to the faith component, what do you do to just kind of keep it all in balance inside you? Because you ha I have to say you have just this amazing peacefulness about you and low stress. Either you hide it really well or you have some secrets to share with the rest of us on how to handle high pressure. Yes, thank you. Um, so I'll say again, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm an introvert to begin with, um, you know, and uh, being an introvert, you tend to keep things more into yourself. But um, not to say that there is anything that is hiding here. Um, I, I be myself all the time. I'm a very straightforward person. I, if something is affecting me, I'll let you know. If I'm happy about something, I'll let you know. Likewise, um, no hard feeling. But this, I, I believe if you understand how I feel, we can have a better working relationship. Likewise, if I understand how you feel. For me personally, how I deal with it, you know, um, stresses of work and balanced life and everything. For me, I tend to deal with things in the moment. So I would not bring that moment, uh, bad moment or bad situation work, um, from work, home. And likewise, you know, um, just like every other relationship, every marriage, there are, there are ups, there are downs, you know, um, there are issues. And um, there is never a day that I walk into the prison and my face is puffed because of something that my wife said to me or something that she didn't do or something that she should have done. And, you know, the list goes on. And no matter what, when I, uh, somehow, by God's grace, he has granted me that, you know, mercy and, and grace and wisdom to understand that ability to, to, to say that, um, listen, let what happened home, stay at home. When I step out of that vehicle, I step into the prison, I'm dealing with work here. I'm dealing with work here. Because no one, no staff deserve to be treated in a negative way because of what I experienced. They didn't do anything to me, you understand? And likewise, my wife or my kids didn't do anything to me, not because I had a negative situation at home. And also, what I do personally, I tend to 
take time off, not so often, but whenever I can, just to be alone, like I said, to meditate. I believe that calms your spirit, calms your soul, because um, when you are on the go all the time, your mind and your thoughts are so scattered that you can't gather them. You tend to like give up. You lost your time. But the moment you, you take the time to sit and gather your thoughts, you become that person that you always be, always find yourself back to. So uh, it's important for, you know, Um, since mental health is a big issue, especially for those being incarcerated, um, you know, on remand waiting, um, for sentencing, um, what is the mental health like in the facility, in the prisons? Um, do y'all have, um, psychiatrists or anything to help inmates with depression, anxiety, mental health issues? Yes, um, so part of our mandate as the prison service, two main primary of safe custody and retraining of inmates. In the process of reforming, mental health is a big So we have programs while they're persons there's a lot of people who are suffering you know they have extreme anxiety doesn't know or understand how to control it whether in prison or society um, we have domestic violence which targets the um, issue of domestic violence the home you know and that has been a big issue, not only, well, in the entire country, basically, uh, because that would have resulted in a lot of deaths as well, murders. So um, we are targeting those social issues, the prison. All of the prisons have their attention to more programs in prison. If we do not address the health needs of those inmates, what you find is that so we recognize that there is a lot of done in that regard, but we are doing speaking of going out and coming in, it's no secret that America has some big problems with our prison reform with the revolving door just for curiosity what do you see in Guyana do people come in and you don't see them again like what what's the general or is it just an ongoing cycle so um, recidivism is something that um, that we do have in the system I think it's approximately 10% of our population um, it's it's a very small amount compared to many countries. But we have 
put systems in place with the hope of eliminating racism. Recently, the Minister of Home Affairs, he has implemented a program called the Fresh Start Program. So he believes that every prisoner deserves a fresh start. And what he means by that is that if you are incarcerated in prison, you have served a sentence, you have learned a skill, we are going to equip you with the necessary tools to continue that skill. So we're going to, if you're a baker, we're going to try to see and get you some pans, get you a stove, get you a bottle, and you can continue to bake. Um, if you're a masoner, we get you the tools to continue that, and the list goes on. Um, if you're a tailor, we get you a machine and so on. If you're a fisherman, we get you nets. So every prisoner deserves a fresh start. Right? It's an idea um, that parted with the minister. Um, it's an idea that the prison service is now running with. I think it's we're doing great. Um, it's out there in the media as it relates to what and what we're doing um, in that regard. But it is all in the direction of reducing recidivism. And um, I think we are achieving that objective. Not on a large scale, but we are getting there. Thirteen percent is amazing. I think you guys should be very proud of that number. That is quite low. It's embarrassing with America. I don't know what we are, but we're a lot higher than that. <laughs> so we've had the privilege to talk to a, an array of different types of, of men and women being in the prison ministry here and you talk to some that are like you know they're just so young they're like 20 and i think and i tell them I'm like you have your whole life ahead of you and they're and this one guy was like smiling he's like i know everybody says that i'm like well it is true you really do have your entire life so when you talked about giving people a message of hope what does that look like from the person that maybe is in there because they're just waiting for their court date to come up and you don't really know what's going to happen yet like i guess they've been arrested for something and don't know to the person who's serving life like how do you adjust your message of hope does that make sense so um it doesn't matter in my opinion the situation that you are in what matters is that for you to understand your purpose in life I think that is where a lot of us lost ourselves because we don't understand purpose. And by not, just not understanding the word purpose, we don't understand our purpose in life of itself. So it begins right there for you to understand that you, know, you, can, you have the ability to be a decent human being. You don't have to do this. You know, it may seem, because on a lot of occasions when you talk to some inmates, they will tell you, hey, Boss, or sir, I've been uh, doing drugs all my life, and that is what I continue to do. So the message of hope for me is on that premise that, listen, you don't have to be this way. You can change. Things can be better, but you have to first desire it. I often say to them, I said, a man is of his own thoughts, what he thinks he becomes. Right? So therefore, if you have negative thoughts, for yourself, if you have negative 
motives, that is what will manifest itself. But if you believe that, listen, after this ordeal, I'm going to be a renewed person. I'm going to be a person that when I step out into society, people would say, yes, he went to prison, but he's a changed person. I can see that inside of them, inside of him. And a person with life, to be specific, what we'll do is that we'll try to ensure that we counsel that person, talk to them, ensure that they involve in some retraining programs and especially those that are doing a sentence and they are 20 years 25 years old and a lot of them don't have a skill uh, permit me to go a bit to um, share something with you i learned recently um, there was this guy that was talking about uh, he, he was basically talking about persons are saying citizens of america is saying that, um, oh, you're taking all the jobs and you're going to China and you're going to other places and you're neglecting the, the, the home population, the U.S. population. But he said, he said this beautifully, he said, he said, where in America can you say that I need a hundred person who is trained in computer science and you're going to get 200 persons knocking at the door, nowhere. But in China, their skill sets are so high on the agenda, their skills training, that you can go and you could have a person in civil engineering and various fields. You want 20, 30, 40 persons, you get them. It's not a struggle to get them. You understand? And I think um, our government is going in that direction as well to train persons because we recognize that skills training is what is important. Yes, we need banking and accountants and all these technical persons in the offices, but we need skills persons. We need welders, you know, we need agriculturists, you know, and so many other persons that, you know, use their hands. So we want those persons who are um, incarcerated and young persons, especially for life or longer sentences that they leave the prison with a skill, whether it's sewing, um, whether it's baking, culinary arts, whatever it is. You know? And we're having uh, so many other programs like you know, barbering. Barbering is something that can pay you quite well, you know, as simple as it is. But some persons uh, were never privileged to hold a machine, much less to use one. You know? So um, that is our approach. And that those are the ways or angles in which we, I personally, I should say, I give them that message of hope that there is a brighter future. And that was kind of my message. Um, the three days I spoke since I was sick yesterday, unable to go and speak, um, it's your mindset. Because I grew up believing I was a failure, no one loved me. I was worthless, and the more I kept telling myself that, the more my life showed that until, you know, I woke up off life support and realized I can't do life by myself, and thankfully God woke me up and uh, gave me that second chance to do life how life was intended, he intended, and how I was raised by my parents, 
but it's huge just how your mind can play tricks on you and you tell yourself over and over and over that you're a failure, no one loves you, and that becomes your reality. So that's huge for the inmates. And then also something I uh, mentioned to them that, I mean, that 13% is, I mean, that's a, that's a huge number, you know, compared to the states where I don't, I don't know the number um, of coming back in, but um, I would say the prison system in America is not to reform, um, you know, inmates, whereas here you're actually trying and you're giving them something when they leave to better their life. So it's up to them when they leave, but you're giving them the tool. Um, but something that I was saying and something that I had to do when I woke up off life support and knew I needed to change my ways, you have to cut those people out that were bad influences. You have to quit going around certain places because the people and places and things that were of the old life will get you right back into prison or selling drugs or whatever it may be. Um, and that's huge. And that was what something I was just trying to tell um, the inmates because you're in here. You don't want to be in here. If you don't want to come back, you need to change your ways. And sometimes that's even family. You got to cut out, you know, you got to do the hard things. Um, so yeah, it's, Yes, definitely. I, I I share what you're saying, and I must say that with my personal life experience, and so on, I would often say to the inmates, "Listen, change comes has to come from has to come from right." Um, because why why I say that is this is this because inmates by themselves, what you found is that um, there is always so much people to Oh, you know, this person never That's why it's drugs. Nobody, I, I have nowhere to stay. It's happening. And these problems. And the thing is, is that ever so often, while, yes, some of the complaints, because, you know, Russians can't accept the fact that their family are so well established. Do not look out for them. That of itself shows them. So um, I say to them, I say, listen, change. You have to want. If you want. And I say that the backdrop of. Because for me personally. I use this to pray. There must be better. Happy. On that note of change comes from you, within you, and your choices and decisions, It is it that some people are hearing the message of purpose for like the first time when they come, like maybe they didn't have it at home. And on that note, do you feel there's community support to be in lockstep with plan, purpose, skill set, that type of thing? Or do you guys feel at the prison that you're kind of on your own trying to clean up things on the back end or is community helping you 
educate on the outside? Yes. Um, I think um, that the, uh, the Ministry of Human Services might answer that much more better than I do. But I'll make an attempt. I'll say that, you know, um, looking back from, you know, I can say that there is need Because, you know, there are a lot of people who get the help that they need. While sometimes they're available, it is not decentralized, it is centralized. So to get it, it's transportation. So um, that by itself compounds the situation. Um, to answer the question directly, how why feel? Um, definitely, um, I would I would not term prison society. I would not agree with that. A lot of intelligence in prison. How what have caused them? Um, so, we, while we see that there is a lot, so, um, I wouldn't say from the back end, maybe, yeah. Okay, I have to ask you a question that I'm really, really curious about. You, you see everything. You see people in there innocent, waiting for their court date to get all the mess straightened out to those who are quite guilty. You've seen everything in between. How does this impact how you father your kids? Are you paranoid to let them leave the house? Like what <laughs> That's an overstatement, but yeah. How does it impact how you father? I would begin to say that there is no one manual to father a kid. You know, every kid has their specific needs. Um, I've seen thus far three kids and now that I have a baby. Um, they all are different in their own ways. They are loving in their own ways, you know, and they have their own, you know, issues or whatever, you know, that you have to deal with, um, emotions I say, that you have to deal with. Um, Looking and standing in a position um, where I've seen all in prison, um, one can be frustrated. One can be frustrated to the fact that, listen, um, you're scared. You don't want to do this. You don't want, and you restrict them and all these sort of things. But for me, I believe that everything in life has a purpose. Right, and once you have faith and you believe and you pray about it, I believe things would fall into place. Um, there's a lot of things you know you can you you can hope for. I can hope for my kids not to ever be in whatever the case. Um, sometimes, and and this is very deep. Sometimes, 
if you don't experience something, it's, it's only that moment you can relate to it because of that. So for me, with my kids, my wife is somewhat very reserved. She don't like kids. But for me, I say uh, not to be carefree, but I want them to have that experience. They must have that experience. Cannot cushion our kids. The more we cushion them, softer they, softer they be. Understand the the. the tougher um, life would be for them as they advance, teenagers and adults. So for me personally, I would allow them to experience certain things. And um, just have to have faith. Things will go red. God will look over them. That is my hope. You know, father my kids. That is an amazing perspective because eyes wide open in your line of work, I could see where it would be very easy to feel I want to control, not not in a bad way, but both from a victim or perpetrator position, just controlled. But it, you're so right. It's not doing them any favors because they have their own story that God's writing with them and I commend you for that. Is there anything that if someone was listening, because these go worldwide and they're standing at a personal fork in the road of what life choices they're going to make, what would you say to them to encourage them on the better path? Thank you. I would just want to say that, um, you know, life can be tough, right? And life of itself is it's a journey, right? Um, life, best describe it, it's a challenge. And um, we as human beings, God created us that way, right? I want to accept it. But that is what um, keeps us going, you know, challenges. We look forward for a challenge. We look forward for new opportunities. But opportunities come challenges, learning new things. Um, I often say to someone to explain um, how, how life is, and that is what causes me to embrace challenge. No matter what happens, in life, you embrace it because that is life. Um, and I want to give this little explanation. What causes me to think that way is the fact that in the very embryonic stages, conception of life, there was a struggle. Millions of sperm to reach one egg. They never hold hands to reach that egg, but there was a fight to get there. There was a struggle. And every day from that, um, that, that very second of conception, what happened is that as that child is in that womb, there is continuous struggle every day, every minute, attack of disease and all sort of things. And that process, that whole nine months, was a challenge. And for you to grow to a small kid, it, it comes with challenges as well. And then from that adolescent to, to teenager, 
challenges again. And it doesn't stop there. You understand? From a teenager, now you're an adult. Face the blunt of life, basically. Um, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your own community, wherever you go, right? Um, challenges are there. So basically, throughout your life, um, you are being prepped for that. Sometimes we don't seem to recognize that. We don't seem to. Uh, so once you understand that, that is what I that, that is what I spoke I spoke about purpose, understanding. Understanding your purpose in life would make you have an appreciation of where you are today, what you're doing. You know, so for me, I understand that life is about challenges. Tomorrow morning, there is going to be a challenge. Next year, there's going to be a challenge. You know, so every day of your life, there are challenges. You have to pray God, stay focused. Some, you may never get or, or be able to overcome them permanently. Whatever the case, could be really serious. You can't overcome it permanently, but you could live with that. You could live with that. That challenge every day is what wakes you up, keeps you excited. How can I, how can I go up this cliff with one foot, you know? And the list goes on. So for me, um, my, my message to anyone is to appreciate where you are. Someone once said, once you have life, you have Because if you die tomorrow, all your dreams, your aspirations, etc., dies right there. But if you have life, if you have life, if you and and you you have life but you don't have no feet whatsoever. You know. Or you don't have a kidney, you only have one, but you have life. You can be the next Bill Gates, you could be whatever you dream to be, it is possible because you have life. If you don't have life. That's my that's why I Yeah, I always ask my guests, and Christy does as well, kind of what advice you have for listeners, but you just, you know, answered that. Um, and that's very true, because um, a lot of people, myself included in the past, got stuck in my head and was like, woe is me, basically, you know. As you were saying earlier, um, this person didn't look out for me, so I resorted to drugs. That's not, you know, you have to look out for yourself at times, you know. You control your life no one else can control your life for you um and until i got that out of my head you know life was pretty hard because i was thinking i was the victim when i was not the victim i was you know lying to myself saying i'm not loved no one loves me when in fact everybody loved me i just didn't see it and i didn't feel it because i didn't love myself so therefore since i didn't love myself how can somebody else love me no one loves me because I've done this, this, this. I'm a burden. Let me just end my life to make it easier. When in fact, that's a load of crap. I wouldn't be sitting here today having this conversation. I wouldn't have been able to go and speak to your inmates and give them 
some hope, a message of hope that maybe not all of them received it, but if one person received it and heard it, you know, that's an answer to prayers. Um, so as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you for sitting down and taking um, time because your time is very valuable. A busy man, um, very busy. Um, so I just want to say thank you for um, your time and being a guest on the Rabbit Hole Show and um, Christy's real deep stuff. Um, so thank you. I echo everything that Chad just said about thank you so much for your time. First, to be able to go into the prisons, and what a joy, honor, and privilege that is. I love being there. All the gentlemen there are so respectful and so nice, and that is, they are following your lead. It's truly an example that you set for them, and the trickle-down theory is true. (laughs) So it is a joy to be in there. Thank you for your time today, your wise words. you it, It's very evident you are doing what your purpose is and what God has called you to do. I, I don't know anyone who does it better. And we appreciate you, all you do for the community, for the prisons, for our team. We thank you so much. You're very, very special. And may God bless you and your work and your family to continue to make Guyana all that it can be for the purpose he has. Thank you. Anything you'd like to say? I'd just like to say thank you as well um, for having me. For recognizing that you know I need to be on your podcast. So I must say thank you for the opportunity and um, thank you for having me, Jason. All right, y'all. Hope y'all enjoyed um, our conversation with Diaraj just want to thank um, him from his for his time his uh, vulnerability um, and thank you for Christy and just her collab uh, with the rabbit hole show um, but next week um, I was able to record um, our time in the prison and um, one of the services that we did. Um, So next week, it'll be um, the service, one of the services. um, So you'll be able to hear um, us singing with the inmates, uh, me talking to the inmates, sharing some of my story, Christy uh, sharing some of her story and and, uh, just giving the inmates some hope. And then Pastor Jai, um, who um, is the hands and feet and the missionary down in Guyana, um, where he's born and raised um, for International Celebration, uh, the nonprofit that uh, we went with, uh, the Puckets. So if you want, you can go check out uh, Steve and Beth Puckett's, um episode and then Jai's episode um so if you haven't listened to those go check those out to get maybe a little more background on international celebration uh the mission and purpose um in Guyana that they're doing um but look forward uh for y'all to be able to tune into episode 75 next week and um just hear um kind of what we did in the prisons with the inmates um So, as I always say, um, we all have a story. 
we all have struggles and the good news is that we're not alone and um you know diaraj definitely talked about that um this week but um would love to sit down um hear your story uh if you want would love to have you on the show um for an episode to share your story with our listeners um but please tune in spread the word about the rabbit hole show um subscribe on whatever platform you listen to and then we also have an instagram if you want to follow um and connect with some of our guests um it's the rabbit hole show which is all underscored and um, feel free to reach out to me we do have a email address uh, the rabbit hole show 21 at gmail.com but feel free to message me on social media or shoot me a text message but uh, love y'all thank y'all for tuning in this week and look forward uh, for y'all to be able to hear the service and uh, what we did with the inmates next week thank y'all